couldn't go back. Changes your you just life. put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. Just dug even deeper. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so why couldn't I? That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Cogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. Often the best way to live out your dream is to help others to live out theirs. Welcome to this week's Bucket Podcast. As you know, Bucket is spelled with an IT as opposed to an ET, and Bucket rhymes with another word that begins with F, as in just get on and do the things that you really want to do in life, live life to the fullest and all of that. So to me, Bucket is all about swerving off that predictable road that you've been following for years and trying something completely new, different, maybe a little strange, maybe it's a bumpy path you end up on. Getting completely lost is totally fine. It's all about ticket before you kick it. And over the years, I've encouraged a lot of people to write their list of things to do before they died. And I've noticed that there were these themes, these reoccurring themes that kept coming up. And so we've divided the bucket lifestyle philosophy into these eight themes. The eight themes being face your fear, test your limits, take a leap of faith, rediscover your childhood, shed your inhibitions, break new ground, get lost. And today I want to talk about one that, well, it's kind of relevant right now, particularly as we just got through Father's Day, and it's a chance to sort of stop and say thank you to somebody. And this is a theme that I call Aim for the Heart. And Aim for the Heart is something that really comes, I think, as you get older in life and you think more about helping other people, you really want to think about, well, how can I do something that will affect somebody else in a really positive way? Um, There are a million excuses as to why we shouldn't be living the life that we want to live. And sometimes it's nice to reach out and to help others just to help kickstart other people who have something that they've really wanted to do in their life. You you know that it's something that they want to do and maybe there are some obstacles that are stopping them and you can help them ditch the excuses and achieve something that's on their list. So that's why I do encourage you to sit down with people that you really care about, maybe find out what it is that really gets them excited in life and then you can go about helping them. Um, this aim for the heart theme is something that has become more and more important to me. I just went on this great hike with my dad in New Zealand. It's the Old Ghost Road. The Old Ghost Road runs along the Southern Alps, and uh, it goes through an old gold mining town. Turns out that a lot of my relatives, or some of my relatives were up there digging for coal, uh, and sorry, digging for gold back in the day. I had relatives up in that area also digging for coal. But uh, it's this amazing track. It's a single track. It's the longest single track in New Zealand. And my dad said, you know, I'd really love to go on this hike with you. My dad's 77. And so last month, I left at a time when I had a lot going on. The timing really wasn't that great. But this was something that was really important to my dad. And he really wanted to do with me. And so we spent five days walking on this trail, 50 miles, carrying 50-pound backpacks, going from hut to hut, meeting people from all around the world and completing New Zealand's longest single track through the Southern Alps, which he's he just absolutely loves, not too far away from where our ancestors first came to New Zealand on the west coast of, uh, of the South Island. So 
uh, I felt like, okay, I helped my dad tick off something that was on his list. And of course, I got the benefit of being with him and spending some time with him. One of the other things on his list right now is to go to Iceland. So that's something that I'm, I'm planning to do. And over the past year, I've had this incredible opportunity to sit down with innovators, entrepreneurs, mavericks, disruptors, to talk to them about their road to success, pivotal moments in their lives, um, things that have caused them to change direction. And, and they all speak about these, these themes. But today I want to pull out some of the things that they've said uh, such a wide variety of people that we've had on the show, journalists, Olympians, explorers, people who have been on the front lines of war zones, cancer survivors, even a Navy SEAL shark attack survivor, uh, all kinds of people. And I want to draw out some of the stories that relate to this theme today, which is aim for the heart. And I want to start with an amazing man by the name of Burnell Cotlin. Now, Burnell Cotlin was in New Orleans when Hurricane Katrina hit back in 2005. If you remember when we were on The Amazing Race, we were there just before this happened. And if you remember the footage from that time, absolutely devastating. And one of the areas in New Orleans that was severely hit, places were 25 feet underwater, absolutely decimated this neighborhood of the Ninth Ward. And this is where Burnell Cotlin grew up. He had to leave his neighborhood with only the shirt on his back. And during those first few days of the storm, he and his mother evacuated and then watched in horror on TV what was happening to their neighborhood and everything underwater. And their biggest concern was Burnell's brother, Kevin. He didn't leave New Orleans. He held on like so many other people did who thought that they could just ride out the storm. And, and then they found themselves watching their relative literally clinging for his life until he was helped with a random act of kindness. I went up, got, I jumped in my car, and I went to Walmart in, in Leesville. And um, I was just standing there. I had nothing to do because I just wanted to get out of the shelter. And a total stranger, a lady I'd never seen before, she came up to me and she said, you, uh, Katrina, are uh, evacuating. I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, can I help you with anything, please, please? Um, a random stranger. A random stranger. I'd never seen this lady before a day in my life. And I said, uh, I said yes, ma'am, I do need some help. And um, I said, uh, something simple. All I want, if you can help me out to get a telephone charger for my phone. Um, I, play, I don't take nothing for granted. This, this taught me uh, don't take anything for granted. But um, I plugged it up. And the very first call I had was my brother Kevin. Because he was alive. He was alive. Because we saw so many people uh, died. We had I, over 1,800 people, over 1,800. Like thousands of others, Brunel had lost everything except the will to rebuild the neighborhood that was so badly wiped out. But he loved it so much. So in 2010, Brunel Cotland returned to his beloved Lower Ninth Ward. I had to go back. Um, uh, it's my home. I used my VA home loan to buy my very first house when I got out of the military. I had 48 wonderful neighbors. I mean, the Lower Ninth Ward was full of energy. It was vibrant. You had businesses everywhere. You had stores everywhere. It, it was home. It was home. And... To, to lose all that, to see everything go under, um, it, it's, 
it's like a nightmare. It's like a movie. It's like it's like a horror movie almost. So when I finally went back uh, to see it, um, there was all kinds of ugly rumors that said it was totally unhabitable. They wasn't gonna let nobody live there. They had rumors that they uh, was gonna turn it into a desert. They, this, there's all kinds of things. It was when Burnell bumped into one of his first neighbors, Mrs. Emanuel, unloading groceries from a cab that it had a really profound effect on him. When I seen my first neighbor, Missy Manny's my very, today I have three neighbors yes. from 48. And she was my very first neighbor. When I saw her take those groceries out of a taxi and I went over and I talked to her, I really didn't think about it. I didn't think about it at all. And um, I drove up and down a little night when I noticed we didn't have nothing, nothing. No stores, nothing. When I built my, rebuilt my home and I drove up and down a lower night ward, um, after speaking to Miss Emanuel, it, it, it just, it's like I say, it's, it's, it's an indescribable feeling because the smells was in the air, uh, water was everywhere, you had cars still upside down. It was just, it was horrible. The weeds and grass was high. It didn't look like home. It didn't look like, look like New Orleans. As he drove around, he realized that there was zero infrastructure and without it people who they just couldn't move back and rebuild and for those few people that were living in the ninth ward they had to take three city buses to get to the next city for the closest grocery store he knew that he had to do something and he felt it was his responsibility so Burnell Cotland did the impossible with his mother and his wife by bringing some life back into the ninth ward brick by brick I went from serving our country to serving my community Aim for the Heart is entirely about addressing the needs of others. It requires you to look outside yourself and into someone else's heart and mind and figure out if there's anything that you can do to help this person. For this military veteran, it cost Kotlin and his wife four years and their entire life savings to do the impossible. They built the first and only grocery store in the Ninth Ward. It was now possible for the community to walk around and get food instead of having to travel across the city to go shopping. But it didn't stop there. That's my mission. That's my purpose in life. Now, I'm just an average guy, but I got above average dreams. Well, my dreams is now to see my community, the Lord Night Ward, catch up with the rest of the city. Even that means I have to build it alone. I've been lucky enough to see countless examples of people who seem almost transformed by the act of doing something for somebody else. They become super motivated and they want to just keep doing things, good deeds. And these good deeds, they also give them life. And suddenly they find themselves ennobled by the selfless cause, empowered by it. They begin to feel like Burnell Cotland did, that anything is possible. They have no qualm about shooting for the moon and asking everyone around them to help out. And after all, they tell everyone it's for a good cause. And when you have this kind of power, this kind of power of positive force, and when it kicks into gear, the results, well, they're just truly amazing. I live in the Lord Nightward. I mean, yeah. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on going. I really want to see my community grow. You know, so every, if someone was to donate to me their time, their effort, I don't care who it is, and um, I'm going to put it right back there in my community. Incredibly, one of those people was Ellen DeGeneres. After hearing the incredible work that Brunel was doing and that he was now trying to build a laundromat for his community, she surprised him by donating all the washer and dryers that he needed to visualize his laundromat in his neighborhood. And to this day, he continues 
to have these big plans. If you haven't seen the clip, you can see it online. It's, it's fantastic. Right now, um, if I had to fund it, if I had the money, yeah. I would love to put a second floor back on my building. Yeah, they had there was one floor. there before. There was one there, but I, w- I, w- I couldn't afford to, to put it up there, so I had to tear the second floor down. No, um, I would love to put a second floor up there. I would love to, to get the land that's right next to me. I would like to put a daycare center there. I want to build more houses. Uh, I would love to open up another store, even something as simple as a clothing store. The power of selflessness is truly amazing. All I want to see is my community catch up with the rest of the city. It's very, very simple. And if they don't want to do it, then I'll do it. You know, donate to me. I live there. I'm not going anywhere. I've been doing this here for the past, what, since 2009. I'm, this is my home. You know, I was born and raised there. So if, if someone want to donate anything to me, if they don't want to do it themselves, give it to me. I'm going to do it. Aim for the heart requires that you zero in on something that really matters to someone else and then you take your best shot at turning that person's dream into a reality. The connection with the people let me know that everything, me spending my entire life savings wasn't in vain. Me putting all those hours there, you know, uh, trying to do the floor or the electric wasn't in vain because I see that my, my efforts, it made a difference in, in other people's lives and it feels good. It let me know it's worthwhile. One of my favorite people in the whole world, comedian and actress Bonnie Hunt, is best known for her memorable supporting roles in big budget movies, and of course as the star of her own multiple sitcoms for almost 30 years. Before going into show business, she was an oncology nurse, and that ability to empathize with others has never left her. She is so genuine, and it has given her the ability to connect with her fans in such a genuine and authentic way. I felt so connected with my audience, and I still do. I mean, when I'm in the grocery store, people don't ask me for an autograph. They come over and they say, can I give you a hug? Yeah. And it's just such a different, it's really nice. I just love that connection. We had great fans. I think a lot of that too comes from having been a nurse before I was an actor and just valuing people's stories. And that's why I wanted to do a talk show because mm. I value what somebody has to say to me. Being a nurse yeah. changes who you are. Yeah. Uh, for me, it did. And it gave me just a foundation better, as my dad thought, as a storyteller. Bonnie is a compassionate, heartfelt actor, director, and all-around great human being. She's from Chicago, Chicago native, a big Cubs fan. And she credits her parents for who she is today. She lost her father at a very young age, but he had a profound impact on the direction that her life would take. Her mother raised the seven kids, and Bonnie is very close to all of them. I'm in awe of my mom. Yeah. She raised the seven of us kids to just be decent, kind people, and that's a big accomplishment in the middle of a big city. And, you know, my father died young. Yeah. Um, You were only 18? I was 18, yes. And, but, you know, he instilled enough values in us to to stick together and stand by my mom and, and do what's right. As, as best as we could. and But mom definitely was steering the ship. And so I have great respect. It's so cool that Bonnie talks to her mother every day. Mom yeah. always calls me. And I call, I call mom a lot as well I yeah. mean, when I need comfort or guidance. And I, I know how precious it is to be able to say I can still call my mom. Yeah. Um, I have friends that have lost their parents, both parents. And I know what it was like to lose my father. I know how life changes in an instant. Um, so I feel pretty blessed to be able to still call my mom, but she's hilarious. You know, she's on social media. She's very, um, in the moment. My mom's smart. She's just smart. And 
I think, boy, she gave her whole life to us. She gave yeah. it all to us. Yeah. It's remarkable. Often the best way to live out your dream is to help others to live out theirs. As a child, Bonnie's mom would take her seven kids to various charitable events and told them that they were going to give back. Kindness, positivity, and empathy are powerful thoughts that people need to share. My mom would, was always having us give back, give back. And I think it was a way, too, to keep us in line. We grew up in the city. There was a, we, you know, my mom had a lot of children, and it was just something to do and organize us. And But it was a valuable lesson because I remember starting to go and not wanting to go. And then I started to feel good, like important, that somebody wanted to see me, and I made them happy, and they were excited for us to come as I started to get seven, eight, nine years old. Well, I was that young that you were doing this. Right, seven yeah. years old. I remember and this is my your first whole family, memory. your brothers and sisters. Yes, we would all do things like this. My mom would just, you know, it wasn't every day. We weren't, you know, right holier than thou or anything. It was when she could convince us all to get. Well, in the I never car. thought of you as holier than thou. Well, but I mean, maybe a little holy, but not holier than thou. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, we're just normal kids. Yeah, but know. you know, and we didn't want to go. But then you start to get this feeling of that it's something good to do, and. It becomes part of something that you need. You know, people say to me now, because I volunteer now as a patient advocate, I've never fully left my nursing life um, because it's it's a selfish reason. It keeps things in perspective. It makes me feel good about myself. And people give me a lot of love. I'm divorced. I don't have any kids. And my patients fill my life. Which brings me back to my dad. And he really is the reason, along with my mom, that I have this lust for travel, adventure, and meeting people my big loves in life. He's known me longer, obviously, than anyone. And I'm very fortunate to have both my parents in my life. We have a really closely knit family and we go on some incredible adventures together. Every day just continues to teach me so much. I think the, the best advice is to be yourself, to treat everyone the way you would like to be treated, not to have sides when it comes to uh, treating people and judging people. Mm. Be open-minded. My dad's a plant scientist, so we grew up living in various places around the world. When we were in Canada, my dad joined an international aid organization, which was called CUSO, kind of like the equivalent of uh, America's Peace Corps. And he said life was so comfortable in Canada that he really wanted a new challenge. We always wanted to work under more third world conditions. An opportunity came up for my mom and dad to go down to the Eastern Caribbean, and they jumped at the chance, packed up the family, and we all moved to Antigua. We were meant to stay two years. We ended up staying about a decade. The Forage Legging Project, I started without any land, without any plants, without any staff, and without any infrastructure. I chose some staff from scratch and then I worked with them day in, every day, every day for, mm. for probably the first two years, setting the standards and setting the pace. So it was a time of just progress, progress with limited time and, and limited resources, limited finances. My dad credits his strong work ethic to his roots. Well, I think it came from my upbringing. And, and uh, you see, one of the good things about, uh, I think, many New Zealanders is that we're hands-on people. And you notice the difference when you go overseas. 
I remember um, working in, in my nursery, well, quite a, a, a bit of time after I got things set up, and two of the old watchmen who were on the gate of the, of the compound came over to me and said to me, we have never seen a white man working like this physically, because I was pouring sweat. In fact, I was clearing the area uh, to, to this is when you were first setting there, it up. It was yes. Looking back, it was earlier, and and I said, well, probably the prime minister of New Zealand cuts his own hedge. That strong work ethic is something that I learned from my parents, and I've never been scared of hard work. I really do think that it has played a major role in the choices that I've made in my career. You and Ruth had to show incredible flexibility because we kept getting visitors, technical and otherwise, and half the time you weren't sleeping in your beds because someone was there. And then you had to share the house every day because your mum ended up with so many piano students that she had to give up secondary, the secondary school and just go flat out with 50 piano students. And then she developed these theory, the theory classes and used classrooms after school hours. One of the big lessons that I learned from my parents is that you accept everybody for who they are, that you open up your home to people. And we were constantly having really interesting people come in and out of the house, not just because of the fact that my mother had 80 music students, but there were lots of people that would visit. And, and then my parents went out of their way to meet people Sometimes it was a little mortifying, like the, the time that my mom picked up some Canadian sailors who were looking for a place to do their laundry. The sailors on the side of the road to come back to the house to do their washing. You remember that one? Yes, so that, that's right. They were, they were off a, a Canadian submarine and they were looking for a laundromat. And Beth said, oh, she said, come on, hop in the car and you can come and use our washing machine. I remember sitting in the car being yeah. embarrassed that mum was stopping to talk to oh, these Oh, she would always stop. Soldiers. She would stop and pick up Antiguan women, you know, walking along the road yeah. in order to go and clean someone else's house. Yeah. Uh, and, but the, the interesting thing was that your mum was teaching at home and trying to get some pizzas made. Yeah. And, and anyway, the guys offered to help. And then after your mum resisted, finally they said, Ma'am, uh, this man is a chef. And just uh, if you don't mind, uh, we will take over. And they, they cut everything your mum had cut up. They cut finer. And they made the pizzas. I remember them yeah. throwing them in the kitchen. Oh, absolutely. And then they took us down and uh, took us on board the, uh, late the at night. Late at night. Yeah, I remember that. If there's one thing that I can categorically say about my parents, it's that they're incredibly generous and they feel this need to give to others. Aim for the heart requires you to look outside yourself and then see somebody else's need. And... That is an, a wonderful skill to have. And I say skill because it does require you to slow down and to look out rather than looking in and thinking about, well, what do I need? It's about looking out and thinking about what somebody else's needs. So I, I see my dad, for instance, now in his 70s, he'll go around to someone's house and help them trim up their rose garden, you know, or my mom will put in extra hours teaching someone at the piano and teach people maybe who can't afford lessons just because she wants to be able to share her skills with them. So this message, this aim for the heart message is, is one way that you can 
add things on your bucket list, your ticket before you die list, that really epitomizes what it means to pay it forward. Kindness, positivity, empathy, they're very powerful things that you can share with others. And your act can be a catalyst to help others do the same thing. You can encourage other people to put something on their list that has a dramatic impact on somebody else's life. So absolutely, when you write your list, put down things that you want to do for yourself, but also force yourself to maybe think about what you're going to do for somebody else. It's such a, a powerful theme in the bucket philosophy. Look, at the end of the day, you can't live people's dreams for them. They have to get up and do it themselves. But sometimes just a little kick in the backside and pulling people off the couch to go out and do something or maybe you know, they've constantly talked about how they want to get guitar lessons and maybe you set it up so that they have an appointment at Tuesday at six o'clock because you know they're going to be free, forces them to just get going, just to get some momentum going, to get that train out of the station. And you never know, uh, you might get a tremendous amount of uh, enjoyment out of watching somebody that you know needs that little jump start, get going. And trust me, it feels so good. For those of you who are already doing that, thank you, because I think it makes the world a better place. And for those who maybe haven't thought about it yet, just make sure you've got that on your, your list. Again, aim for the heart. It's just one of the bucket eight themes that we, we have. And down the line, I'm going to start talking about some of the others. Get out there, live your best life. Remember, bucket and Take it before you kick it. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To see more great interviews, go to philcogan.com and subscribe to Bucket with Phil Cogan wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider rating and reviewing us and follow Bucket, that's Bucket with an IT, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter at Phil Cogan. See you soon.